Amen. As you take your seats, 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. We are in the midst, as we've talked about before, a spiritual war. As Paul reminds us, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We are in the midst of a spiritual war. That doesn't mean that doesn't spill out into the physical world. But we have spiritual battles every day of our lives. We have Goliaths that we are confronted with every day of our lives. And what I want us to see today is that we must fight together. We must fight together. William Wallace was born in the late 1200s. He was one of Scotland's greatest national heroes, the lead inspiration for Scottish resistance to the English King Edward I. And he was a key leader in the successful struggle to free his country from English rule. And if you've seen the movie Braveheart with Mel Gibson, who plays William Wallace, it is loosely, loosely based off that history. But there's a scene in the movie where a group of rugged Scottish soldiers, pitchforks and all in hand, are before the British army. And the British army looks spectacular. They are well organized, well trained, they well outnumber the Scottish army, the soldiers. It is a spectacular sight. And so on the surface, it appears victory leans heavily towards the British army. And so thus there they are in this valley before them, this field before them, and the Scottish army are ready to flee in fear before their enemy. One soldier cries out, the English are too many. And so William Wallace comes along And says, sons of Scotland, I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men, and free men you are. Will you fight? The soldiers begin to kind of murmur among themselves, and one cries out and says, fight against that? No, we will run, and we will live. William Wallace responds with this, I, yes, fight, and you may die. Run, and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives but they'll never take our freedom. And you can picture Mel Gibson, right, just on his little horse saying that, right? But I love that speech. I love that speech. Because I can't help think of David before Goliath. So picture, if you will, this valley right here. According to historians, this is the valley in which David confronted Goliath. So picture this valley. There's two ridges or two hills on either side, and on top of those hills, one, on one side is the Philistines, and on the other side of the other hill are the Israelites. So you have these two hills, and then a valley between them. 
And for 40 days, 40 days, a tall man, a giant named Goliath, who stood over nine feet tall, his arms and legs like tree trunks. He was beefy and strong and powerful and had all the resources. He had a strong stature. He was powerful. So for 40 days, he comes down into the valley and he taunts and challenges the people of God. Hey, come on, send me your best fighter. I will fight this person and whoever wins will win the whole thing. This is a common military wartime kind of thing for many countries back in that day, but this is what it was. They would duke it out, winner take all. And we're told that whenever this happened, whenever the Israelites saw the man, saw Goliath, they would all flee from him in great fear. They all fled from him in great fear. Look at his resources. Look at his stature. Look at his power. It's too much. Forty days this goes on. Then a small, insignificant, seemingly irrelevant shepherd boy comes from home to bring his brother some supplies. And when he arrives, he sees the bully and hears his words, and then he sees fear in the eyes of his countrymen, and he says, what are you doing? Why aren't you fighting him? Why are you afraid? And since you won't, I will go and fight this giant. Of course, David's brother, Eliab, the oldest one, says, hey, why don't you just be quiet and go back home, all right? It's where you belong. But David goes to King Saul, and David says to King Saul, Hey, let nobody lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. We read in verse 32. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And what is Saul's reaction to that? It's his older brother's reaction. He doubts and rejects David. You're too young. You're too inexperienced. You're not qualified. You don't have the resources. You don't have the stature. You don't have the power. But David informs King Saul of his days as a shepherd. And he says, listen, verse 36, your servant has killed both the lion and the bear when defending his flock. This uncircumcised Philistine, meaning this guy who's not even a part of God's people, will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living gods. Verse 37, so the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul says to David, fine, so be it, go, why don't you, and let the Lord be with you. And then Saul tries to put David in his armor. And David says, no, this doesn't fit. This isn't me. So David then takes his staff in his hands and he goes down to the creek or he goes down to the river. And you can just picture David walking in this water, looking for five 
perfect, smooth stones. The, the Israelite army is probably watching this like, what is this kid doing? The Philistines are probably what is this kid doing? King Saul, like, what is he doing? And he's just walking in the water, looking, searching, examining, trying to find the right five stones that he needs. And then one by one, he puts his hand into the water and draws them out. So here now he has these five stones. He's got his slingshot. This is not like a little kid's toy slingshot. This was a lethal weapon. He's got a staff in his hand that he'd often used as a weapon to defend himself. And then afterwards, after he's got his resources now, his slingshot, his stones, his staff, he then goes down into the valley and he approaches this Philistine, this giant before him. And the giant Goliath does what David's family did, does what King Saul did initially. He rejects him and doubts him and mocks him. Am I a dog? You come with me with sticks? Hence the phrase, underdog. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods, and he says, all right, come here, little boy, and I'll give you your flesh to the birds and to the wild animals. But then we read this in verse 45. Here's David before the giant. And he says this. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin in the name of your resources, in the name of your stature, in the name of your power. But I come against you in the name of Yahweh, the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. So David, verse 50, skipping down. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Meaning the battle is the Lord's. And so as the Philistine came closer to David, David ran after him quickly, reached into that bag, pulled out that stone, flung it in his slingshot, and launched it at Goliath's face. And it buried into his forehead, and he fell flat. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. So what's amazing about this story, we know this story. It's a very famous story. We've read it probably many times. But what's amazing that is in one afternoon, David the nobody becomes a somebody. In one afternoon, this nameless kid becomes one of the most named kings the world has ever known. Why? Because David was fearless while they, the Israelites, were fearful. The question I have is, is why? Why David and not King Saul? Why David and not one of his older brothers? Why David and not someone else? 
There are three reasons that I believe make up the answer which we gather from this entire text in 1 Samuel 17. It's those three reasons, too, that I want to apply to us today. Because we must, we must, like David, fight together, number one, from victory, number two, with authenticity, and number three, always ready. We, like David, must fight together from victory with authenticity and always ready. So the first one here, from victory. David knows something that we often forget or don't think about or fail to acknowledge. David knows the inferiority of the enemy before the superiority of God. David knows the inferiority of his enemy. Regardless of what his enemy is, Goliath, the lion, the bear, he knows the inferiority of his enemy before the superiority of God's. And when he sees the two, and he compares them, he sees and knows that his enemy is nothing against God. The question is, is do we see the same thing? Whatever or whoever our Goliath is, past, present, or future, do we know the inferiority of our enemy before the superiority of our God. The Israelites fled fearfully any time they heard and saw their enemy. Unlike David, David stood fearlessly for two reasons. Because they, the Israelites, compared their resources and stature and power to Goliath's resources and stature and power. While David compared God's resources and stature and power to that of Goliath. Thus, David knew that the resources, stature, the power of Goliath was nothing compared to the resources, the stature, and the power of God's. So David knew that with God, nothing is impossible. That with God, one is unstoppable. That with God, one is immovable. No matter the Goliath before them. The Israelites also believed that they were fighting for victory. Man, we've gotta, we have to win against him or else. We have to do this. We have to do this. I have to do this. Coupled with number one, they were fleeing in fear. We must win, but we can't win. Because if you look at our resources and stature and power compared to his, we must win, but we can't win, so let's just not fight. And like them, coupled with number one, so many of us are living fearfully. Oh, we have to win. We have to do this. We have to get this. We have to do that. But we can't, so let's just not fight. David, meanwhile, knew the resources, the stature, and the power of God. He knew that the battle belongs to the Lord. That he was not fighting for victory. He was fighting from victory. Meaning, I got nothing to lose. As Paul would later say, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In sports, like in life, when an enemy is facing an underdog... The enemy has everything to prove. The underdog has nothing to prove. That's why so often you hear of upsets and the underdog story. Because what can an opponent do if one is fearless 
before death, even in death itself. That person, that people, they're unstoppable. Just look at the book of Acts. Just look at the early church. They lived fearlessly. They were unstoppable because they knew they had victory. They knew the resources, stature, and power of God, and that the battle belongs to God, and that those who are in God, with God, and who belong to God, we fight not from victory, or for victory, but from victory. So whatever or whoever our Goliath is, we have victory. And we might reply, well, yeah, but. Yeah, but what if that person, or what if this happens? No, you stand in victory. As Paul would later say, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, even over death itself. So therefore, he would go on to say, so stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't flee in fear. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew they could look into the fire and say, man, even if we die, victory belongs to the Lord. And if victory belongs to the Lord, it follows, though, it follows that those who are in the Lord and with the Lord and who belong to the Lord, they fight from victory. And that changes everything about the battle before us. Politically speaking, financially speaking, mentally speaking, relationally speaking, why are you fleeing in fear? You fight not for victory, but from victory. Thus, knowing this, knowing that David is fighting not for victory, but from victory, that the battle belongs to the Lord, it then causes him to fight with authenticity. What do I mean by that? It means David knows who he is. He's very clear in his, in his dialogue with King Saul. He knows who he's with. He knows who he belongs to. And he's not ashamed. And it changes everything about his disposition, despite the opposition. Which again, the opposition comes not just from Goliath. His family says he can't do it. His leader says he can't do it. The enemy says he can't. Everyone in David's life doubts David, except the only one who ultimately matters, and that's God. And David knows that. The culture may say you can't. The leader of this culture may say you can't. Your own family may say you can't. The enemy says you can't, but God says you can. In me, with me, and when you belong to me. And that's all the difference. Everyone in David's life says, David, you can't, but God says he can. Because God says, David, I'm with you. You're with me. You belong to me, and the battle belongs to me. I've given you victory, and that's all the difference. Therefore, David's not ashamed. He's authentic and true to himself and to the Lord. He doesn't try to be someone he's not. He trusts the work or the Lord's work in his life. He trusts the Lord's preparation for him in his life. He trusts who he is with the Lord. 
That's why David would later write, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil. For you, Lord, are with me. So listen, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed that you are in Jesus, with Jesus, and that you belong to Jesus. No matter what the culture says, no matter what your own family says, no matter what the enemy says, don't be ashamed of who you are in Jesus, that you're with Jesus, and that you belong to Jesus. We've been talking lately with our kids about how there are times in this life, and going to be times in this life, in which you must choose what you watch, what you consume, what you listen to, what you associate with, because you're a follower of Jesus. And that might not be popular. And the culture may then try to get you to be something or say something that you're not or cannot or will not say. But don't be ashamed of who you are in Jesus, that you're with Jesus, that you belong to him. Instead, just stand firm, fight with authenticity, be real to who you are in Christ. As Paul said in Romans, he said, listen, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You might be, but I'm not. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because of who you are in Jesus, because of the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, because of what we just sang, because of the blood of Jesus, you fight from victory. You are in the true and living God. You are with him. You belong to him. And he is the true, eternal, brilliant, and beautiful one and only God who is truth, who is the way, who is the life. He's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Meaning he's superior over everything and everyone in the spiritual world or the physical world, seen or unseen. Therefore, the enemy is inferior, even the enemy of death itself. So don't be ashamed. Stand firm in the faith. Be authentic and true to your new identity in Jesus. The Lord affirms you in Christ. He's for you in Christ. He has plans for you in Christ. And that's all the difference. So don't be ashamed that you're in Jesus, with Jesus, and that you belong to Jesus. But also like David, we must fight always ready. David himself was not ready overnight. He needed years of fighting lions and bears. Of preparing and training in order to be ready for his Goliath, to arrive at a point where he was ready in season and out of season. And I love the imagery of David down there in the stream, just seeking and evaluating and examining, trying to find those five smooth stones, which were not ready overnight. This is a particular type of stone that involves a scientific term called abrasion. Abrasion, according to any dictionary, is the process of wearing away a surface by friction. A rock undergoes abrasion when particles of sand or small pieces of rock are carried across its surface by a glacier, by a stream, or by the wind. 
In other words, it requires a lot of friction, a lot of ironing, sharpening iron. So David took five smooth stones out of a stream. He kept them safe in his bag and then sent one out to defeat a giant Goliath. Well, the stones were not ready overnight. Years of mixing with and being shaped by other rocks, years of abrasion would be needed for those rocks to be well-equipped and ready for their calling, for their moment. Listen, you never know when God's going to reach down into the stream or into the fields in such a time as this and use you, use us to be that which he throws at the enemy. Therefore, we must get ready. We must always be ready in season and out of season, training, preparing ourselves together. Think of it like the Navy SEALs. This group is amazing, right? Best of the best, top notch. Because of that, the Navy SEALs are called out on specific, very unique, and special operations. And when not chosen to go out on mission, they're training. Constantly training. Training, training, training with each other. Always readying. Always being prepared and set apart for when the time comes, for such a time as this, that they like stones or they like David or they like an Esther can be picked from the stream and then used to do big things. We must fight like David from victory with authenticity and always ready in season and out of season. Because you never know when God's going to reach down in such a time as this and use you to confront Goliath. And again, we do this together. We fight together. You say, well, David did it by himself. Well, after David defeats Goliath, you continue reading in 1 Samuel 17, you then see that it's the entire army of the Israelites that then come behind him and pursue the rest of the Philistines. And from there, you will never see David fighting alone again. You cannot fight alone. We've already seen that current research has revealed that it can be devastating for us mentally, emotionally, physically, if we are in constant states of isolation and loneliness. We're designed to be connected together. And again, what they've discovered in the field of neuroscience is what God already knew from the beginning. It's not good for us to be alone. And it's not just true in our everyday lives. It's especially true in our spiritual lives. And it's especially true in the face of Goliath before us. You cannot fight alone. We were not designed to walk with Christ and in Christ by ourselves. To walk through the valleys by ourselves. We need abrasion, friction, and pressure from each other. All those one another commands in the New Testament, we need them. We need each other. So listen, we stand before a valley, much like David did with the Israelites. A Goliath is before us. We can list off so many. Whatever, whoever. And if there's not one now before us, there will be one before us. 
May we not flee in fear. May we know who God is. May we know that the victory is His. May we know that we are in Jesus, with Jesus, and may we know that we are those who belong to Jesus, and thus we are fighting not for victory, but from victory. So let us choose this day together to fight together. Not ashamed, always ready to go down into the valley to face Goliath together. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward as we get ready for a time of response. And during this time, maybe it's just praying for God to remind you of who he is and that the battle belongs to him. That victory belongs to him. And thus, you're not fighting for victory. You don't have to win this or to win that. He already has the victory. You stand in victory. You're fighting from victory. Maybe for some of us, we've been ashamed of the gospel. To stand firm, to, to not watch that, to not participate in that, to not whatever. And it's reminded us to, to be like David. Quit letting other people try to get you to be something you're not. You are a child in Christ. Don't be ashamed of that. Be true to that. And maybe for some of us, we were ready a few years ago, but these last few years have been pretty rough. And it's just the Lord bringing us back to Him again. And back to His church. Because we need each other. We need each other. But whatever the Lord's leading on your heart to mind, even as I pray, if you have a decision to make, you, you got something to, you need prayer for, th- these steps are open. West of myself will be down here. Even as I pray, you can come. Father, we thank you. We love you. Help us to fight like David, no matter what the Goliaths are before us. Knowing that the battle belongs to you. Help us to remember we're fighting from victory. Help us to fight with authenticity, not to be shamed, to be true and real to who we are in Christ. To be confident and bold in the fact that we are with you and we belong to you, that you're with us. Father, help us to be ready in season and out of season, always pursuing you, pursuing your word, pursuing you in prayer. Help us to draw together draw near to each other because we never know when you're ready to pluck somebody out of the river or off the field to go and confront the Goliaths before us help us to be a people set apart and ready always together even during this time Father stir our hearts and minds draw us closer to you and closer to each other In Christ's name I pray. I'm going to ask that you stand with us.
Even as we sing this song, we're down here. Whatever decision you need to make during this time.